0: Uh, This morning we're starting a new four-week series called Worship, Giving God Our Best, um, where we will really be looking at the heart of worship. Like, what does it mean to truly worship our risen Savior? Um, The Westminster Catechism states that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That goes back to the mid-1600s. Yes, evangelism is is important. Discipleship is important. Missions, outreach, fellowship, those are all important. But whether we like it or not, our highest calling is worship. Um, Glorifying God and enjoying him forever. Usually when we hear that word worship, we tend to think of it in the context of singing songs of worship. Worship is that, um, but it is so much more. Worship isn't just a song. It is a a posture of the heart. Uh, It's an act of surrender when we realize that we are nothing without Jesus, um, that we have nothing without Jesus as we grow in our knowledge of the Lord as we grow in our love for the Lord um, our hearts should be moving more and more into a posture of surrender Uh, our lives themselves should be moving more and more towards a posture of surrender so what does that look like like how do we How do we glorify God with our life? Speaking broadly, uh, there are three things that we can do with our life. We can waste it, we can spend it, or we can invest it. So how, how can we waste it? There are actually an inordinate number of ways that we can waste our life. So here are a few examples. Uh, We can waste our life by chasing fleeting pleasures. We can waste our lives by just entertaining ourselves. We can waste our lives by just continuing to complain or worry. We can surround ourselves with the wrong people who then lead us down the wrong path. We can waste our lives by living out other people's expectations for us. We can waste our lives dreaming um, by talking about what we should do or what we wanna do, but never actually doing it. How can we spend our life? We can spend our life uh, on our career. A lot of people do that, they sacrifice their time, energy, health sometimes, sometimes even their family uh, for their career. We can spend it on a particular hobby or a sport. Uh, both my father and my grandfather, my, my mother's father, uh, loved watching football. They spend hour after hour watching football. My grandfather literally died in his chair watching football. Now, I don't mean to imply that they weren't good men, they were good men, Um, but they definitely watched a lot of football. Um, We can also spend our life on acquiring stuff. So, a bigger house, a nicer car, A boat, clothes, shoes, vacations. Or we can invest our life. Jesus taught that the greatest use of our life is to invest it in that which outlasts it. And that's the title of today's message, which is A Life Well Invested. So our scripture this morning is the parable of the talents. And whenever we we read that word talent, we tend to think about like a skill or an ability or some kind of like capability. But actually the word talent in ancient times referred to a measurement of currency, money. So um, how much is a talent? It is more than you would think. So apparently a talent was worth about 20 years of salary for an average worker. So if we try to put that in modern terms, 20 years of salary, I looked this up. According to the US Census Bureau, uh, the average household income in Fergus Falls in 2020 was $42,659. The average individual income in 2020 was $28,271. So let's use that $28,271 figure. Multiply that by 20 years, and you get $565,420. Okay, so for our purposes today, let's say that one talent is equal to half a million dollars, just to keep it simple. So the story goes that a master has entrusted different sums of money to his three servants, the three stewards. To one, he gave five talents, so that'd be about 2.5 million dollars. To the second, he gave two talents, that'd be about a million dollars. And then the third, he gave one talent, about a half a million dollars. All different sums, but all very large sums. And so he leaves them to do business, to trade, to invest the money that he has given them. He goes away, and after a long time, the parable says he comes back. He settles accounts with each of his three servants. uh, And he's pleased to find that the first servant has now doubled his money, right? He now has ten talents, or five million dollars. The second servant has also done well. He has doubled his two talents and, uh, to four, and so he has about $2 million. The third one, however, did nothing with the talent he was given, about $500,000, right? So the first guy, he got 100% profit, doubled his money. second guy also got 100% profit, doubled his money. but The third guy got 0% profit. And now the master gives his statement, his judgment, his verdict. He says to the first and second servant, well done, good and faithful servant. He gives exactly the same words to both of them, even though the final amount is different. It's interesting. But to the last servant, he says to him, you wicked and slothful servant. So Jesus is making some important points here uh, that has everything to do with glorifying God with our lives. I wanna go through these. So the first point here is this issue of ownership. So this parable teaches us really that everything we have, like our jobs, our belongings, our family, even our next breath, everything we have belongs to God, it, God made it all, um, and everything we have is on loan from him. Like really, really, we own nothing. Um, what we have is simply on loan for the short time that we're here. Verse 14, again, says this, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Whose property was it? The servants or the masters? Right, it was the masters. And As we see here, the master has entrusted his servants with a responsibility. The master expects the servants to go and do business with what he gave them to try to bring a good return. And Jesus is reminding us too. That we have a responsibility. He has entrusted us with our very life. And we can either waste it, we can spend it, or we can invest it. So, what does it mean to invest it? Like, what does it mean for a Christian to use his or her life for God's purposes? Well, I ended in our series last week uh, by talking about how God doesn't just redeem us, but he redeems us for a purpose. And what is that purpose? Uh, Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And what are those good things? Jesus says in John 15.8, When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. So fruit in our life brings God glory. I'll put it another way. As Christians, our highest calling is to glorify God with all that we have. God has given us life. He has given us breath. He has given us health. He has given us a family. Um, He has given us gifts, abilities, education, experiences. He's given us a job, most of us. He's given us influence. He's given us money. He's given us time. He's given us strength. All to be used for his glory. Sometimes we think this is optional. But if this parable is correct, there's definitely an aspect of accountability between the master and the three servants. We see that he expects them to invest the resources that he gives them. Verse 19 says this. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The master had made an investment and he wanted a return. So likewise, God has made an investment in our lives, right? And when you think about it, when you think about it, not only has he given us everything that we have, but he also orchestrated all of the events, all of the people in our life, so that we might come to know him and live with him for eternity. Like, I mean, just think about all the people who were involved in you coming to faith in Christ. Okay, maybe there were divine appointments, events, coincidences, uh, people praying for you, and everything else that happened to ensure your eternal salvation, for which we will be thanking the Lord for for the rest of eternity. Right? I like to say that even when I was running from him. He was pursuing me, right, chasing after me. Anybody relate to that? Why? Why was he pursuing me even when I was running from him? Well, he loves us, for one, but he also redeemed us for a purpose, like Paul says, he has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so that we can do the good works, the good things that He's planned for us long ago. We see in this parable this morning that he wants a return on his investment. Bible says that one day God is going to do an account, an audit of our life. Romans 14:12 says, yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. Now, I'm not saying that our salvation depends on our works, on doing the right things. I'm not saying that at all. But he will ask us, what did you do with what I gave you? And we have been, get, we have been given a lot. Like, living in this country, we tend to take a lot of things for granted. Right? Wealth, public resources, our safety, our freedom. So even if you are financially the poorest person listening to this message, right, you are wealthier than much of the rest of the world's population. And so, again, we can waste our life, we can spend our life, or we can invest it. Verse 18 again says, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. So the first man had taken his money and doubled it, 100% return. This man was a wise investor, right? Second man took his money, he doubled it. But the point of the story is this third guy. The third guy just buries it. He does nothing. Maybe he's just being cautious. Maybe he's just being conservative. Uh, Maybe he's playing it safe. Doesn't want to risk losing it. What was his master's reaction? His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. He was more than a little upset. Like, at least you could have invested it with the bankers right? He said, you haven't even tried. You just hit it. So I, I want to explore this a little bit, right? How do we live a life well invested? So that at the end of our lives, when the master returns, we've taken what he's given us and increased it so that we've borne some fruit. And we're not like that, if you remember the story of the fig tree (laughs) Jesus cursed because there was no fruit on it, we don't want to be like that. So the first principle here is taking what is temporal, what is finite, what is short lived, and leveraging it for what is eternal. Or to put it another way, how do we take what we have now, things that will eventually go away and then invest it in the kingdom of God, something that will last forever? How do we impact lives for eternity by our actions here and now? Because we all have a clock ticking on our lives, every one of us. One day, we will all meet our Maker. The Master will return to see what we did with what he gave us. So, one thing I see from this parable is that doing nothing is inexcusable. God would rather us, he would rather have us try and make an impact with our life, like try to do something for his kingdom, try to do something that will outlast us rather than not. Which person, the person with the five talents, the person with the two talents, or the person with one talent, was the most likely person to sit on it and do nothing? It was a guy with one talent. Why? Because this is what typically goes through our minds. If I'm just a one talent person, uh, I'm just gonna let those who have more talents do it. Or I'm just gonna let the professionals do it. They've got more to offer than I do. They got more gifts, they got more talents, they got more resources, they got more money. What difference can I make? I don't have 10 talents. Shoot, I don't even have five. Right, I've only got one, so I better protect it. Right, just bury it. Over the years, I've seen a lot of Christians lose their spark and they've lost their joy. Their life with the Lord isn't what it used to be. Why? It's because they're not in the game. They're sitting on the sidelines just being spectators and not participating, right? They're not leveraging their time, their talents, their treasures for the kingdom of God. They're not stepping out in faith to be used by God. They're not living a life where they're excited, perhaps even a little bit scared, about how God might use them. If you remember, I've said this several times now, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. These people are not leveraging their time, their talents, or their treasures for eternity. They're not sacrificially giving of themselves for God's kingdom. Um, No, they've taken all that and they've just buried it. When you're in the game... You get challenged, you get stretched, you grow. Um, God expects us to use what he has given us for his kingdom, period. And if we don't, and this is no small thing, if we don't, I mean, we all have to stand before the Savior at the end of our lives what excuses will we give for not getting involved in god's kingdom work what causes us to want to bury our talent? right there's self-doubt we think i could never do that i'm not qualified it's fear of failure Right? I mean, right here in our scripture, Matthew 25, 25. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Another reason is, really, is self-pity. We say, I tried at one time to get involved in ministry and in service, but I got burned. I got hurt. Or, I got burned out. So I'm not going to do that again. But as a member of the body of Christ, that is what we were created to do. It's sort of like saying, uh, I, ate, I ate at a restaurant once and I got sick. So I decided I will never eat at another restaurant again. It's interesting. Um, Judas and Peter both failed Jesus but they responded very differently Judas of course let the weight of his sin and his guilt cause him to commit suicide Peter on the other hand he repented and 50 days later he was chosen to essentially birth the church right in fact 3,000 people came to Christ in one day when Peter preached Right? so just 50 days after Peter's greatest failure like in his whole life he experienced his greatest success it doesn't matter where you've been it doesn't matter the garbage of the past is not what matters what matters is where you are headed now right what counts is leveraging the rest of your life for eternity, for his kingdom, for things that will outlast us, for things that a million years from now in heaven, people will be thanking you up and down for. So in uh, verse 28 in our scripture today, Matthew 25, 28, the master says, so take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. Well, that doesn't seem fair. Like the rich get richer and the talented get more talented. But it is fair. God has the right to take away anything that I don't use for him. Right? He gave it to me in the first place. Right? He has the right to do that. He's God. The principle to learn here is that if I don't use it, I lose it. It's actually a universal law, right? If I don't use my muscles, I lose them. If I don't use my mind, (laughs) uh, I lose it, right? At least I become mentally dull. If I don't practice my talent, if I don't use my gift, I lose them. Right? They go away. If I don't use the opportunities that God has given me, whether it's at work or my family, um, opportunities for ministry or whatever, like I lose them. Use it or lose it. Another principle here is the, is the fish and loaf principle, or you can call it the multiplication principle. Um, and it is this just start using what you have been given by God. If you find you need more energy, use what you've got for God and watch what happens. Little becomes much in the hands of the master. If you find you need more time, give your time to God. If you find you need more money, Give your money to God. If you need more talent, give your talent to God. Watch him multiply it, right? Like the loaves and the fish. He multiplies these things when we put them in his hands. The next principle we see in this uh, parable of the talents is the, I would call the principle of promotion. All right? 20, verse 25, I'm sorry, Matthew 25, 21 says this. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So a little, little story along these lines. Um, back in my old church, uh, we had developed a, a whole pastoral training track it was like a two year pastoral internship uh, that was coupled with seminary level like classes, schooling. But the thing that preceded this was a six week summer intensive. So the point of that summer intensive, for those who felt like they might have a pastoral call in their life, uh, the point of the summer intensive was to expose them to enough of the behind the scenes of pastoral ministry Uh, That it would either confirm their calling or deny it, right? So, like, after six weeks, they'd be like, they'd either be like, yes, this is absolutely what I feel called to do, or they'd be like, nope, (laughs) not for me, right? And either way, it was a win, right? So, it was intense, hence the name intensive. Um, Candidates came from our church, they came from churches out of town sometimes across the country. And they would spend their days and their nights um, for six weeks being exposed to both the spiritual aspects of ministry and the nuts and bolts of ministry. Um, We had them doing leader training, spiritual disciplines, training in in prayer. Uh, We had them giving out food to the poor through our partnership with Convoy of Hope. We'd go to, uh, to a, a monastery, a Benedictine monastery, over a weekend uh, for more training, and then we'd pray with the monks. That was always cool. Monks get up early. They like to pray many times throughout the day and pray early. Um, and we would always end this intensive uh, with a big outdoor cookout, like celebration, uh, and then we would pray prophetic blessings over each person. Um, we did this every summer for years, always like a new group of people coming in. Sort of felt like a, like a ministry boot camp. So every year, one thing I would tell the folks going through the intensive, and obviously I, I helped lead it, I helped, helped teach it, um, but one thing I would always say to the folks going through it was this, I said it so much that it became like this running joke. Um, here's what I said, I said, everything is a test everything is a test and it was true like we weren't just seeing if they could learn theology or if they could like learn a specific area of ministry Um, we were observing their character their humility right were they teachable were they quick to serve Uh, did they love people easily And it's the same thing in our parable this morning. Life itself is a test. Um, This is one of the reasons why we are here on this earth. Remember, he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. He has some stuff for us to do. Kingdom stuff. Eternal stuff. And we see in this parable that when we are faithful with what he has given us, God gives us three things. First, he affirms us, right? Well done, good and faithful servant. Like, who doesn't want to hear that at the end of their life? Well done, good and faithful servant. Can you even imagine, like, it just kind of gives me chills, like to see Jesus before me saying, well done, good and faithful servant. So he firms us. Second, he promotes us. He says, you have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. I mean, frankly, god can't trust many of us with great blessings because we're not being faithful with what we have been given so the principle of promotion and third um, god promises celebration he says enter into the joy of your master right at the end of our life when we were standing before the master Will we have wasted, just spent, or actually invested our life into God's eternal kingdom? I know personally, when I stand before the Lord at the end of my life, I will have to give an account of the first 29 years of my life um, when I basically did nothing for the kingdom. I'm just being honest. I will have to give an account for that. I was basically living for myself. I mean, I went to church, but you wouldn't know I was a Christian by the way I lived my life during the week. None of us wants to stand before our Savior with his pierced, outstretched hands and have him say, you were so busy doing your own things, and I had so much for you to do so many lives for you to impact for eternity why did you just go and bury your talent it is super important for us to not bury what God has given us well I'm a big fan of wise investments the wisest investment uh, you will ever make is when you say God I want to make the rest of my life count for eternity I give it all to you. I'm tired of being afraid or I'm tired of being selfish or I'm tired of sitting on the sidelines or I'm tired of putting this off. I'm going to get in the game. We only have one life to live and before you know it, it will be over. And really, the only things that will last beyond us are what we do for God's kingdom and what we do for God's people. Right, so how do you start? I'd say pray. Pray and ask God how he wants you to leverage your life for his kingdom. Your time, your talents, your treasure, everything you've got. It's like, God, how do you want me to leverage what is finite for what is eternal? How can I invest my life into your kingdom? And then the hard part, do what he says. Uh, Even if it's sacrificial, even if it's hard, even if the math doesn't make sense, but don't put it off. So who am I talking to this morning I'm talking to everyone if you're a youth don't say to yourself "Oh, I'm too young to serve God don't no, start serving God today don't say I, I don't need to give all I have is my allowance or all I have is what I make from this little part-time job it is not too early to establish a godly habit of putting him first in all things. If you're a young adult, maybe you're tempted to say, well, I'll give and I'll serve God later. Let me get my career going first. That's not wise. Some of the most powerful ministry I have seen in my life has come from young adults. Um, it is a perfect time to learn to give the Lord your all. And as you do, I've seen this happen over and over again. Um, He will call you into deeper levels of service which will then lead you into deeper levels of joy and fulfillment. It's cool. Um, If you're hearing this and you have a young family, you got kids, you got bills to pay, Maybe you're homeschooling your kids. Maybe you're like we were, like just taxing our son all over the place. Um, If we're not careful, all of those things can pull us from what matters most, glorifying God. Um, Our ultimate responsibility is to glorify God. Joshua 24, 15 says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If you're a retiree, first off, that's great. But remember, remember this. We can retire from our work, but we don't retire from serving God. He has not retired you. If he did, you'd already be up there with him. As long as we are still here on this earth, we should continue to glorify him. We've still got kingdom work to do. Right? It's possible. It's possible that in your retirement years, you might actually do more for the glory of God. A good book on this that I recommend is called "Halftime" by Bob Buford. Uh, and the subtitle of the book is "Moving from Success to Significance." Uh, he helps you develop a mission for serving God in the latter part of your life, right? I've known people many people who've like figured out how to retire early to so that they could focus on doing more kingdom work. Like one of those people I, one one of the people I'm thinking of is someone who like retired early and called the ministry and then went through all that process I just described, the summer intensive and the two-year training stuff, and then became a pastor in his 50s after he retired. How old was Moses when God called him? What was he, like 80-something? It's like, if you're breathing, God's not done with you. Amen? Right. Okay, the famous Baptist preacher of the 19th century, Charles Spurgeon, Charles Haddock Spurgeon, uh, said the following. He said, remember, my hearer, that in the day of judgment, your account must be personal. God will not ask you what your church did. He will ask you what you did yourself. So it's important that we don't just rest on the accomplishments of the church or any other like organization that we're part of or that we're contributing to. My question today is, how about you? Because we will all one day individually have to stand before God. For me, I hope and pray, uh, the Lord says something to me like this. You don't have a lot to show for the first part of your life but you did eventually get serious with me and with your faith. You made a commitment to make the rest of your life count for the things that matter. Eternal kingdom things, things that are going to outlast you. You did a good job. You weren't perfect, had a lot of faults and sins but you made the effort. You stepped out in faith when you thought that i was in it you fought the good fight you advocated for the lost the last and the least and you pointed people to me and to my word well done good and faithful servant my prayer this morning is that at the end of your life jesus christ would say something along those lines to you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for everything that you have given us. Our life, our health, our family, our resources. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for our freedom. Thank you for our salvation. Holy Spirit, I pray you would speak to each of us specifically about how we are to invest our lives into that which is truly eternal, the kingdom of God. Lord Jesus, all around us are people who have no hope without you. They are bound in eternal darkness and damnation because they have yet to put their faith and trust in you. I pray, Lord, that you would move each of us to invest our lives in the saving of souls, to invest our lives in the healing of this body, Life Church, and invest our lives in the equipping of the saints so that your kingdom would continue to expand and we would see so many people saved and healed and set free. May you be glorified in our lives. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.